Today on the No Sitting on the Sideline Dad Podcast, what if you live out your dreams and do something that, that inspires you and inspires others and also bring joy and inspiration to many? That's what my guest, David Combs, author, speaker, musician, next on the podcast. Let's do this. Welcome to the No Sitting on the Sideline Dad Podcast, a podcast about a journey of discovery and conversations about not sitting on the sideline of life. Let's get involved. Here's host Joe Foley. Hey, welcome to No Sitting on the Sideline Dad Podcast. Hey, my name is Joe Foley, and I really want to say thank you for being here. If this is your first time, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. I know as a dad and parent, our time's limited. So you choose to spend time listening to me means a lot. If this is the first time, welcome. Welcome on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Hey, I'm, I'm not an expert. I am a dad, a parent, a, a person trying to figure this stuff out one day at a time. I'm on a journey just like you. Really. You know, it's something when I'm 46 years old and think I know everything, and I don't. <laughs> I have an eight-year-old who thinks he knows more than I do sometimes. I know it's a journey. So... I'm trying to figure this stuff out. If you have a second, hey, I, I was wondering if you have a second, please check out the YouTube channel, the No Sitting on the Sideline Dad. The link will be in the show notes. It'll be some videos and interviews that may not be in the podcast feed. I, I've been trying to build up that um, YouTube channel over there. And also, if you have a second, please subscribe. I would really appreciate it. Next up, my guest, David Combs, author of the book, Touched by the Music, How the Story of the Music of Rachel Song Can Change Your Life. We talked about how music changed his life and others. David shared his journey from beginning to end about writing Rachel's song. you got to check it out, actually. It's a really good song. And how comfort embarked joy to people, especially in important or situations that and maybe feel people more comfort and stuff like that or bring joy. There's a great conversation with David, so let's jump right in. Welcome to the podcast, David. Well, thank you, Joe. I'm happy to be here. It's good. Thank you for inviting me. Well, thank, thank you for being on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. I know music plays a big part in your life, and obviously you've talked about music, the name of your book and stuff like that. How did you get involved in music? Well, I, Joe, I was born into a family that loved music. My mother and father both played the piano. My mother played uh, by by lessons. She learned to play by taking lessons. And my father, he kind of learned from his mother. My grandmother Combs, uh, born in 1894, so she was a, a pretty old lady when I got to know her. But she could play the pump organ and the auto harp. She just she played by ear. She she couldn't really read much music. Now she could read something they call shape notes. If, mm-hmm. if some of your audience may recognize that, but that's an old timey way of writing out music. But she played by ear. And so I remember growing up hearing my Granny Combs play that auto harp and sing her favorite hymns and songs. And and then my father, he, you know, obviously grew up around that as well. And so he learned play by ear and then he he loved to play the piano. So I grew up with my father. As soon as we had a piano in the house, he was always over on the piano playing something. So I really grew up in a family that loved music. And I guess I, it just kind of went into my, my DNA, I guess. What was interesting too about piano and stuff like that. And when we had the conversation before and, and it reminded me of my great aunt, she was a nun 
she played the piano and i and today i was thinking about before the interview i have a, a tape of her playing christmas music and i do want to digitize it but i was thinking about something the sound of her piano playing in the christmas carol especially when the christmas season comes up it's like having her here yeah and it's um the music it's 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 so like it's so important too like the sound of the piano playing you know the, the whatever christmas song you think of is probably on the tape i i, I haven't played it because i don't even have a tape thing anymore and <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking to myself today, going, who has a tape deck? That doesn't even exist. I'm have to go to a museum just to play the tape. Well, it's even stranger now. I have to ask people, do you have a CD player? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people don't even have a CD player now. Well, it's interesting too. That's the sound of the piano. It's just a unique sound. I I I like it because if I had one instrument playing in the world, which I would love to learn, it would be piano because it's just the sounds of the keys. The I think that. The tones, that crystal clear tone. Sometimes you can walk over to the piano and I'll just play one note and just listen to that note as it fades away. And it, it really is music, just even if it's just one note. It just has such a beautiful tone. And then you add the harmony, the notes that go with it in a beautiful chord progression or whatever. It's just a, a, a beautiful, soothing. It really kind of goes into your body and just like a wave wa washes over you and you just relax. What's interesting to you mentioned about your dad which influenced you about being uh, playing music. How did, how did he influence you? Well, I think mainly just by having seeing and hearing him play the piano so often around the house and anywhere we would go as a family, if there was a, a piano anywhere around, daddy would migrate over to that piano and <laughs> sit down and he'd sit down and play something. Even if it was in a museum where you weren't supposed to play the piano, <laughs> sometimes I'd hear my daddy over there at the piano and then the docent or somebody would have to come over and say, oh, sir, you, you're not supposed to be playing that piano. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it, he just loved to play and sing and music was a big part of his life. And I just I think that influence just kind of passed on to me. And and, and I feel the same way that uh, it, life without music would be really, really dull. Well, like, what has been your journey so far in the music? Did you you play you play the piano as a kid, or was what was your journey? Well, if, like most kids, when you're seven or eight years old, you start taking some piano lessons, which I did, and I had wonderful piano teachers that you know taught me the basics of learning to read and play some music. So I did that for a couple of years, and then our family moved to Florida uh, for a year, and I kind of dropped out of my piano lessons at that point, but. Uh, uh, but I, when we came, when I came back to, to, uh, Tennessee, where we were living, I picked back up and took a few more lessons, but mainly I learned from being around other musicians. Uh, and I'm sure you've heard of these, uh, people that have what jam sessions at a house or something. <laughs> they'll bring, all bring your instruments and they'll sit around and play. And so I had a lot of friends who were musical and sometimes I would tag along with them to some of these Friday night jam sessions. And so you get inspired to, well, how did he, how do they know how to do that? So I did a lot of research, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty analytical person. So I, I bought a book of theory about how do you, how do you construct chords? What are chords and how do they relate to each other? And I learned, taught myself that so that I knew how, what a, a C chord was all made up and so forth. And, and then learning the chord, chord progressions and you, and I play a guitar a little bit too, and you got to learn to play chords if you're going to play a guitar. So that was kind of the foundation for my my music. And then I was active in my church choir. I sang in the choir as <laughs> as soon as my voice changed to the level where I could sing. 
with, with <laughs> a constant level. And uh, so I loved that. And then eventually, uh, as I progressed to learn how to play the piano, I would occasionally get play the piano as part of a church worship, worship service. Now, when you're playing along with people who are singing or with an organist who's playing, you can't do like you do at home when you make a mistake, stop and back <laughs> up, start and start over. <laughs> you know, you just got to keep going. So it, it kind of forces you to be, be better and to stay in tune with what and listening to what other people are doing and, and playing. So I kind of grew up and, and my music developed as I got involved with other musical events. You know, I sang in the university choir at TSU when I was in college mm -hmm. and I direct I ended up directing my church choir at home in Irwin, Tennessee, uh, for my last two years in college. So music has kind of stayed part of my life, even when I graduated from college, came to Winston Salem to work for Western Electric at the time as a computer programmer. Uh, it wasn't too long to where I found a church here locally that needed a part-time minister of music. So I became a choir director again, still keeping involved with music. And so really it's, it's just been a, a, a journey with me and a progression of keeping my music active in my life, no matter what my business career direction went. Well, one thing interesting too is you explore your, your love for music and stuff like that. What are some, like, is there anybody like any naysayers or if there was a lot of positive people saying, Hey, go for it, go for your dreams. Well, it, it weren't so much naysayers as I was thinking, you know, I wrote Rachel's song that we'll talk about in a little bit, I guess. Uh, I wrote that song in 1981. Well, in 1981, I was 34 years old. And then that was the first song that I ever wrote. Thinking back, I can never remember anyone ever telling me you can write a song. And and it never really occurred to me. In, in fact, the idea of writing a song really never entered my mind at all because nobody had really encouraged me or said that you could. They didn't say I couldn't, mm -hmm. but they didn't say I could. You know, sometimes just a word of, hey, you can do that or you can look kid, you can you can become a, a good uh, uh, long distance runner because you're really you're good at running or whatever you want to do to encourage a kid. You never know where those words are going to land and mean really mean something to that kid in the long run. So mm -hmm. um, I, ne I never had any discouraged words about my music, but I never had any that were really saying, hey, Dave, you, you really got you can be a famous songwriter or something <laughs> that never occurred. Well, it's also, it's like something, maybe you had to self-motivate yourself. Like just something you really love to do and really enjoy. Like that song mm -hmm. you wrote about Rachel's song. How did that come about? Well, it, uh, it was one of those things where, and, and I'm sure your songwriting audience of, of those that will identify with this, that mm -hmm. I sat down at my piano one evening and I started playing, just playing a song on the piano, making something up, not really intending to write a song or to copy anything else but my fingers i just played this song and it was if that song that i was playing had already existed for a million years i was just <laughs> i was just playing it again and it really never occurred to me that what i had just played was a song a brand new song until my wife came home from work uh, a day or few, a few days later, and she says, what is the name of this tune that I have stuck in my head all day long? I've been humming, <laughs> I've been humming this song, and it's stuck there. And she hummed a little bit of it, and uh, I, I, she said, what's the name of this? I said, it, it doesn't have a name. 
She says, what do you mean it doesn't have a name? You play it on the piano all the time. I said, well, it's just something I made up. And she's got, you made that up? Oh, yes. Uh, well, have you written it down? No, I've, I, it's, it's up here. And she <laughs> said, well, <laughs> you know, something might happen to you. A truck might run over you and that song would be gone. So you better write it down. So sure enough, I wrote down the melody and the chord, put it on a piece of paper and stuck it piano bench. Well, that was in 1981. A couple of years later, some good friends of ours had a little baby girl, and they asked Linda and me to be her godparent. Her name was Rachel. Mm -hmm. So at her christening service, uh, we're sitting there, and the service is going on. The preacher's doing his thing. And then toward the end, I whispered to Linda. I said, do you think I could play that little song that I've been playing <laughs> that we've been trying to think of a name for? And she said, well, I think so. So I went up and asked the family and the preacher if it'd be all right if, if I played this song. They had a beautiful grand piano up in the front of the church. So I, they said, yes. So I walked over to the piano, sat down at the keyboard and, and started playing. And uh, next thing I know is the tears are starting to run down my cheeks. And I hear in the audience some <laughs> sniffling, you know, <laughs> people are getting emotional about this. And, and so when I finished playing the, the song, even before the notes completely died away, I looked up and there was a little bit, little Rachel in the arms of her mother. And I said, well, from now on, this song will be called Rachel's song in her honor. And I promise you that it just fit. It was perfect timing, perfect fit. And still to this day, it's, I think it's just the perfect name for that song. Wow. That's, I mean, that's amazing because a kid would be cool being a name song named after you and stuff like that. <laughs> but I had, yeah. a, I had, a, I had a chance to listen to your song a couple of times today before the interview and stuff like that. And, it brings back a lot of memories of like my aunt we've talked about in the beginning and stuff like that, mm -hmm. but it's relaxing. It's relaxing. How, how did you go about recording the song? Well, you know, now that it had a name, we, we, we kind of relaxed a little bit. And then my career at Western Electric and AT&T had progressed to where I was traveling a lot. And one of the places that I had to travel to was Nashville, Tennessee. Well, Nashville is called Music City USA and it's, uh, it earned its reputation. There must be three or 400 recording studios there and it's music everywhere. And so my wife, Linda says, well, Dave, while you're in Nashville, why don't you find a studio and a musician? Let's get a recording made, a demo recording made of Rachel's song, something we can have, or we could give a copy to Rachel and her family. And I said, okay. So one evening when I was in Nashville, I was driving around music square, trying to find a studio. And it's about six thirty, seven o'clock. Everything looked like it was closed. As we say down south, they, they roll up the sidewalks at 530. <laughs> so, um, but I rounded a corner on Roy Acuff place, and there was this uh, barn look building like a log cabin barn thing with a, a water wheel out front and the sign that said the music mill. Ah, <laughs> that sounds promising. So I pulled in the parking lot, looked in the door. There was a man sitting at a desk. So I knocked on the door and he came to the door and opened it, unlocked it, let me in. He says, uh, I'm George Clinton. Can I help? And I said, sure, I'm Dave Combs, and I've written a little song, and I'm looking for a studio. And about the time the words got out of my mouth, I'm looking around the room, and here's, <laughs> here, <laughs> here's Glenn Campbell, and here's the Forrester Sisters, and here's Alabama, and here's a bunch of gold and platinum records framed. And <laughs> I realized that I'd probably said a dumb statement there. And he, George says, well, son, you're in one. <laughs> <laughs> so he, I said, well, George, I've never been in a studio. And uh, he said, would you like a tour? I said, sure, I'd love a tour. So he showed me around the place and I was 
blown away by all the technology and what all they can do in the recording studios with the equipment. And it turned out, you know, that I said, how much does this place cost to rent? And he says, well, it's $125 an hour plus engineer. I said, I must have looked down trodden. So he said, uh, don't worry about it. He said, the guy, Harold Shedd, that owns this, he owns a little studio across the street and it's $15 an hour. Ah, that's my speed. <laughs> that's my speed. And I said, well, one other thing, I need a piano player to play my song on my demo. And uh, can you have anybody you could recommend? And he thought for a second or two, and he said, ah, yes, I do. I believe it. And his name's Gary Krim. Well, he looked up his phone number and wrote it down on a piece of paper and gave it to me. And so I profusely thanked him, got back in my car and went back to the hotel. I picked up the phone, called Gary and got his answering machine. And he's, I left a message and he called me back in about 30 minutes. And I said, this is Gary Prim. What can I do to help you? I told him what I needed and so forth. He said, oh, I can do that. And I said, great. <laughs> uh, what, do you, what do you need me to do? He said, well, just send me a tape recording of you playing so I'll know what it sounds like and a, a lead sheet. And I said, uh, what's a lead sheet? <laughs> <laughs> I was, again, showing my ignorance of the uh, Nashville music business. And so he said, always, oh, it's just chords and the melody written out on a piece of paper. I said, oh, well, I've got that. I just didn't know what to call it. <laughs> so uh, I said, I'll send it to you. And he said, well, let me give me a couple of weeks and we'll we'll work up an arrangement and meet you at the studio, that little studio that George talked about. So sure enough, uh, two weeks later, uh, meet Gary Prem at six o'clock at this little studio. And he comes in, he sits down at the little piano and, and plays my song. And I'm back in the control room with the engineer listening to this. And Joe, I am blown away by what I hear. If you've ever had an experience to go into a recording se session in, with any professional musician, you're just amazed at the quality of music that these people can create. And especially when you're listening there to your own song being played. Oh, it just blew me away. Well, he played it on piano. And then he had set up his synthesizer and he said, I think I need to add some strings, some horns and some electric, <laughs> electric piano. So he was going to do some multi-track. So he did all that about 45 minutes. He was done with all of his uh, multi-track playing and everything with my song. And then the engineer, of course, mixes it down, mixes all that down and masters it to two-track stereo. And we're Gary and the engineer and I are in the studio listening, and I just cannot believe my ears. This sounded as good as anything I'd heard on the radio. You know, when you hear a hit song on the radio, oh, yeah. you just know that that's, that's going to be a hit. Well, that's how I felt about this song. Even though I had written it, I couldn't believe what I was hearing was something that I started out with just a simple, simple little melody. So anyway, uh, long story short, that song, just getting it recorded, just absolutely blew me away. What kind of response have you got from the song? Well, uh, I, of course, it kind of it started with blowing me away. And then everybody I played it for mm -hmm. was also equally touched by that music. You know, you heard it for the first time today. I, I'm mm -hmm. sure that you can re recall very vividly the emotions and the feeling you had listening to that song, especially if you listen to it through a headset or some environment where you really are listening to the detail and the nuance of the song. And so I did get it played on a radio program. And the first time it got played on the radio, the, the, uh, it was a live performance uh, or a, a real call-in radio kind of show. And, uh, and the station manager called me after it got played. And he said, Dave, I don't know. I've been in radio for many years, and this has never happened to me. He said, when Rachel's song got played on the radio, 
He said, our phone bank just locked up. He said, people were, <laughs> he said, people were calling in. Hey, what was the name of that song again? You just played. Would you, would you all play that again? And tell me more about this Combs guy from Winston Salem. Well, um, he was just blown away and that the, his response and the audience's response was also a kind of a light bulb moment for me. Like, well, maybe I do have something really great here. <laughs> and so I need to get it out on more radio stations. So I worked really hard finding other easy listening stations. And it's a, it, in my book, I tell some of the stories about how I went about getting radio stations. I did a lot of what Loretta Lynn did when she was finding radio stations to play. I went around, I'd look for a radio tower and I'd chase <laughs> down that radio station and hand them a record and say, here, play my record. And by dog, they did. So, uh, in the, the, I eventually got it played on all of the easy listening radio stations in the United States and in the country of Australia, of all places. So it wow, just kind of, it went, went wild uh, everywhere. That's interesting. All in Australia too. Yeah. I had, we had a friend, Linda, Linda met a guy that worked in Australia when he was visiting in North Carolina and we got, a, he got, we got acquainted with him and he, he loved the song and he took it back to Australia with him. And turns out he was in the media business oh, wow. and he, he gave the record that back then it was a 45 record that I had of it. He gave it to a local radio station and, and they played it. Well, they played it. Same thing happened, happened in Greensboro with the radio station first played mine. Everybody wanted to play, hear it again. Well, they played that song every day on that radio station for two and for two years, it was the number one, requested instrumental in the country of Australia. How did that so, make you feel? Uh, again, just <laughs> very humbling experience to like, you know, my goodness, this is a, this song is, is truly a gift, not just a gift, but it's, it's a gift that I am expected to do something with, not just to hide it. So mm -hmm. I felt more strongly that I needed to get this song out there. And so we started figuring out, trying to figure out ways that we could actually sell the CDs and cassette tapes around the country. And that's another whole story of how that took, took place. <laughs> but it's interesting, too, nowadays where all the like, streaming and stuff like that, it's not like they used to be selling cassettes and, and CDs and stuff like that and, and, and trying to get them shipped around the um, world or around the country and stuff like that. But what, what was your wife's response from all this, all the success of the song? She was probably my number one. Uh, promoter, uh, keep me pumped up and, you know, <laughs> making sure that I didn't get down in the dumps because, for example, when I would take my cassettes or my r CDs to a record company store and, and try to get them to agree to, to carry my music in their store, you know, I would get nowhere. They would they'd say, oh, uh, instrumental music, we don't sell much of that. Uh, we can't do anything for you and there's no future for this or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so they were very discouraged. So, Linda, I'd come home and tell her, and she said, Dave, that don't pay any attention to them. This song, <laughs> has, this song has a mission of its own, and if that doesn't work, we'll find some other way. And uh, so she was my chief encourager, and a lot of the ideas that, that I come up with of how to sell and promote my music or present it to people, Linda is behind that. She is, she is a wonderful, uh, exceptional person of her own. I've, we need to probably do another whole podcast about my wife, Linda. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's nice having a positive influence and a positive cheerleader in your corner too, especially when, like you said, when the times are get a little bit difficult because not every day is um, um, sunshine and rainbows. There's some days are kind of okay. 
Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too. Um, also, have you got a response from anybody besides um, besides radio people and about response from fans from the music or the song? Well, uh, I'm glad you asked that because 1994, one of my fans who, uh, and and by the way, these people that heard it on the radio would track me down, <laughs> and I would start getting something I'd never gotten in my life, and that's fan mail. Mm-hmm. So I started getting some fan mail from people from these radio airplay. And one of the fans that called me was a lady who turns out to be a writer for Guideposts magazine. Oh, wow. She and, and she asked me over the, and she, being a writer, as, as you know, as being an interviewer, you love to ask questions. You just <laughs> one question after another. Well, this lady, her name is Roberta Messner, dear, dear friend. She kept asking me about my story. How did I, you know, what I've just been talking about? How did I write Rachel's song, all this? And then the more I told her, she said, Roberta says, Dave, I think this would make a great story to go in Guidepost magazine. And I write for them. And I think that if you'll let me pitch that story to them, I'd be happy to do that. Well, I said, well, well, sure, go for it. So she, uh, she, she pieced together the pitch for the story and did it, uh, pitched it to a guidepost. And the editor said, wow, we want to do this. So she calls me back and said, Dave, they want to write, they want to do the story. So let me help you write it. So she did. And and in September of 1984, this guidepost magazine came out, and oh. on page 30, a story called Two-Part Harmony, <laughs> and I don't really see it very well there on the screen or not, but it's me and sitting at the piano, and it tells the story of Rachel's song, a lot of what I've just to- told you about, and it talks about this song growing and my business growing to where I was actually able to quit my job, a well-paying job at AT&T and do nothing but my music full time. So that story hit the street in September of 1984. Well, this little magazine, Guidepost, which is wonderful and it's still around, of course, mm-hmm. goes to a subscription base of three million people. Wow. Well, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of pen. You, you being in the media business, you know that that's a lot of ears and eyes and, and people. That is uh, a bunch. Well, fortunately, in the back of the magazine, when they wrote, published the article, they do a little section for about the author. And it says, if you want to find out more about Dave Combs and his music, you know, here's his address. You can write, and here's his 800 number if you want to call him. And his cassettes are $10 and his CDs are 14 and whatever. And so they put that in there. Well, thank goodness they did, because within two weeks of that little magazine hit the street, my phone started ringing, my 800 number. Mm-hmm. And, and Joe, it didn't stop ringing. I mean, you could put your hand on the receiver and pick it up. Somebody's there. Hello, can I help you? And somebody wants to order the music or tell me their story. And then you put it down, dingling. Right again, I had to tire, hire two people too late to help do nothing but answer the phone solid for like a month. And then in two week time, my mailman came dragging my mail down the driveway <laughs> in a canvas bag. I got over 10,000 letters with each. Most of them had a $10 check in them for a cassette. And they came to me and my mailman was astonished. He says, Dave, what in the world have you done to me? He said, I can't even pick this bag up. One interesting question I had about that. Um, you mentioned something about leaving your job from AT&T and doing the music you love. How did that make you feel? I was kind of curious about that. Well, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm 
I think I'm a serial entrepreneur. I, uh, even though I worked 22 and a half years for AT&T, I've always been thinking about, I'd love to do something on my, I'd love to be my own boss and have my own business, my own products, do my own thing. But I never had anything that would generate enough income to allow me to do that. And when I started with my music business with Rachel's song, and I wrote more music and produced my first CD, and then that went really well. And then I did another CD, which was actually a Christmas album of Gary Prim performing that album. And that did real well. And then I wrote enough music by that time to do another CD called Beautiful Thought. And that did real well. And it just kept st get better and better and better. And by 1992, my income from my music sales through CDs and so forth, cassette tapes, far exceeded what I was making at AT&T. And I'm I'm no dummy. When <laughs> when I see the numbers that that finally get like this, and finally the music is way up here, I said, "Okay, now maybe it's time." Now I wasn't going to jump off the ship, you know, when things were just I wasn't sure what was going to happen. So I did both for many years, and it wasn't until '92 that I was able to do my music full time. And I did nothing but my music then. My wife and I both for ten years, and. Uh, so it's uh, it it and we made a very good living at it. We've we are we probably uh, I know the music is was my fan base grew to over like thirty five forty thousand people and and I heard from fifty thousand people writing letters and so it was just a gratifying experience that uh, that grew from that one song to finally being able to quit my job. Well, it had to be a cool experience. I'm thinking to myself going. Wow, if I did this podcasting full time and, and and made enough income to leave my other job, it would be a great experience and that'd be a relief and it'd be so much like I, I just imagine that was an awesome experience. Oh, the feeling that you have when you when you look at, at, at you look around and say, Well, you know, this I don't have a boss anymore and <laughs> whatever is going to whatever's going to and it, and it's that's not a, a not no reflection on my previous bosses. I love my previous bosses, but uh, when you look around and, and you are the focus of the enterprise that you're trying to build, whether it's a podcast and I can identify with that, uh, you would love to have, you know, a subscribership to your podcast to where you, you command a bunch of advertisers that would just be knocking on your door to advertise it for you. And your income would be, you know, far superior than, than your expenses that you need. And you'd say, well, you know, I quit my job and, and do what I love to do. And so the the, gratifi the gratification is really tremendous. And anybody who's an entrepreneur or has an entrepreneurial spirit about them, I think that's that's kind of what drives you and says, you know, I got to make this work. And doing this is is fun. It, it really is fun to build a business. And in the process, you, you know, for example, I had a full time employee working for me uh, for many years. And so I was able to provide a very good living for not just me and Linda, but for another person. And for people in small businesses, they, they know what I'm talking about with their employees, how they feel about providing them and their families with a good livelihood. It's, it's a good feeling. Well, it's interesting too. It doesn't seem like work. When you love what you do, enjoy doing what you do, it doesn't seem like work. Exactly. Yes. I remember like, um, I remember I'm, I'm a, I'm a Patriots fan and I understand Bill. I mean, they had an interview with Bill Belichick. And he's like, I'm, this is this is fun. This is fun. Right? And, and that guy is a workaholic and work out. He's workaholic, so he enjoy what he what he's doing. I'm just saying, if it's if you love what you're doing, it doesn't seem like work. 
Nope, that's right. Yeah, you see these guys just eat, sleep, and drink this. And, you know, uh, I have come to know a, a, a friend, you probably know him in the sports world, James Brown, JB, they call him. Well, JB and I have talked several times, and he's a person, he just loves sports. He, he gets up in the morning, and he, he, his mind is on statistics and players, and what, how am I going to ca- call this to, on Sunday with the NFL and whatever? James is, and he's a wonderful, he actually is a minister. And he's oh, wow. just a wonder, wonderful person, but he loves football and he loves doing what he does. And uh, so they, I, I know there are a lot of people like that, that they're not just working because they have to. They love what they're doing. Well, the interesting, too, it's probably a good transition. It's talk about your book, Touch My Music. Who is this the book for? Well, there's really kind of a, 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 a double audience, probably several audiences here, but one is for people who... For, and I have probably, you know, the, my Rachel song has been played millions of times around the world. So I know there are literally millions of people who may not know the name of the song, but they've certainly heard it on the radio or on uh, Pandora. You know, it's played hundreds of thousands of times on, uh, in, on the Internet. Mm-hmm. And so for those people that never knew the backstory to Rachel's song, that, that's, that book for them. They can, they can see what, who wrote song, what was the impetus for it, a little bit interesting stories, and so forth. And then there's another group that are people in the music business who are budding songwriters or people who have, have written something and, and need some encouragement to, well, can you really make a living or can you make a go at something? And so I've got stories in my book that talk about, you know, how the persistence and the all the things that it takes to to make a success of something that it's not a straight line and it's not always, uh, as you said, they're all bump, bumps in the road. You run into something, you figure, well, I'll go around it, or I'll over it or under. So the, for those that are entrepreneurs, I think it's a good book on lessons of how to take something and get it out there. And I think that's the exact words that even Jack Canfield said in his, he wrote the forward to my book. He said, getting it out there, this is a, a primer for how to do that. And then uh, there are people that need some inspiration, that like to inspire, read inspiring stories. Maybe they're a little down in the dumps, and they, they just need something to make them feel good. They're tired of getting beat up on, turn on the, new, the evening news or whatever. It's nothing but bad news. Mm-hmm. And so they need something to just sit down with a good book. And there's nothing like, better than reading a good book. I think you'd probably agree, Joe. That oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> it just, when you read a good book, it, you just feel good. And, and you know you've, you've inspired yourself to do something better. And so for those people, that, that's also what the book is written for, is to make them feel good about themselves and, and maybe get a laugh or two and maybe even a tear or two about some of the stories that are touching. But uh, that's kind of the, the audience. And with those 50,000 people that wrote me all these touching letters and notes, um, this is kind of a tribute to them as well, because I, I put a, a fair number of them in the back of the book on, in Chapter 21 of their little notes and stories. But uh, so there's lots of little audiences that I think it's written for, but it, it was a way for me to go beyond just the music and tell my story. Well, you say inspirational stories. What Anything you can share, maybe a story from the book? One of those that I think that's really, really touching to me is a story of a young couple who had their first child and uh, they went to the hospital and, and the, the child was born. And unfortunately, the child died at childbirth. And so you can imagine the heartbreak of uh, 
losing a ch their first little baby girl in in the in the delivery room. So on their way home from the hospital after uh, the the woman was released, uh, she and her husband were driving in the car home, and they were so sad. I mean, you can imagine the the the, the contrast: expecting to come home with a, a beautiful baby girl, and really coming home with an empty back seat with no child. And so that sorrow was really weighing heavily on them. And they were Christian people. They were had prayed God to help them get through with this. And as they were on their way home, on the rate car radio, they had the car radio on, and on the radio comes this song with no words, it's just an instrumental. And as soon as it starts playing, they look at each other and say, that sounds like our little Rachel telling us everything is going to be okay. They just both felt this song was t talking to them that their their de deceased little daughter was telling them, I'm okay. And so their tears are running down their cheeks, of course. And, and when the song finished playing, the DJ came on the radio and said, you've been listening to the music of Rachel's song. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, it still gives me chills. I, I, I hardly can tell that story in, in, without choking up. Because you can imagine the, the feeling that they, because they had just said that and they didn't know the name of the song. And so they tracked me down and uh, got, they bought a copy of the CD or the tape or whatever. And, and it was like 15 years later, I get this wonderful letter in the mail from this couple thanking me for writing Rachel's song. I guess it took them 15 years to get up the, uh, whatever it takes to, to write uh, that kind of letter. And so they told me this wonderful story. I didn't know about this story until they wrote and said how much my music and said, every time we listen to Rachel's song now, we feel like that we're in connection with our little Rachel up in heaven. And so that's the kind of stories that I got boxes full of here in the basement of my house. That's so touching. And uh, I, I, I just like to share those. Well, we have an opportunity when you're having a kind of a off kind of day. It's probably nice to go down there and maybe read a couple of those too. Oh, oh yes. I mean, I'm, I have a lot of them. The lady who worked for me, uh, she would take my letters and she'd, and she'd put them in two stacks. One stack that when she'd hand them to me would have a Kleenex attached to it. <laughs> well, you know what that <laughs> meant. You better get prepared for a tearjerker when you read this one. So, uh, but anyway, she took the most special letters and put them in scrapbook form. I have literally 23 big scrapbooks full of these letters that she's put in there for me. So anytime I want to boost up and feel really good about things, I just get, pull out any one of those scrapbooks and just start reading. And I, I'm, two hours later, I'm still reading. It's, it's just, they're just really uh, touching your heart. Well, it sounds like Rachel's song, very special song for people. And, um, I had like said an opportunity to listen to it, and I and brought back memories of my aunt and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. thank you, thank you for that song. I really do appreciate it. Well, final thoughts wrapping up. Anything you want to leave with the audience, in the sense that anything you want to leave with people about try, inspire them to live their dream and go for it, or anything you might want we might have missed. Well, I think that's the main message that I want to try to get across with not only my music but my my new book. I would encourage people to go get it and read it. I'm not trying to just promote my book. I really, I, I know from personal feedback that it, they will be blessed when they read the book. I have had uh, the pre people who read this book early on uh, just told me that, that this is going to be something really, really special to people. So I encourage people who 
love music and love inspiring stories, you know, get a copy of the book and share it with your friends and, and relatives and so forth. And I, and I really hope and pray that it will truly bless you. And I know when you get this and, and go and get your, get your Rachel, Rachel song from iTunes or Spotify or listen to it on uh, or Amazon.com, wherever you get your music, listen to the music and, and listen to it in a quiet, peaceful environment where you can pay attention to the close your eyes and, and just let the music enter into you. And, and I know that you will be blessed. Your heart, your heart rate will probably go down. Your blood pressure may go down and you may find some peace and, and relaxation. And I, that's what my plea is that, and I hope the hope is for me, for my book and my music. Well, also, then where they connect you, where they can find your book, which you have a website or anything where they can connect with you? Uh, yes, it's very easy. CombsMusic.com, C-O-M-B-S Music.com. And on there, on the first page, you'll see my book and my CD of Rachel's Song. And if you click on those, that'll take you right to Amazon.com where you can buy the book. And the book's available in paperback and in Kindle, in ebook for those of you who like to read on a Kindle. And <laughs> it's also available if you like, <laughs> if you get homesick for a, a North Carolina, Tennessee accent, you, I encourage you to get the audio book because I spent eight hours reading this book. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am the narrator of the audio book. So you can hear me reading my own book. And it's, uh, it also is in whisper sync. So you can buy the Kindle and the audio book and it will follow right along with you on your Kindle. That's a new feature with Amazon. Well, Dave, all the links will be in the channel of this episode. I really want to pre I appreciate your time, sir. And, and, uh, and like I said, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Joe, it's been a pleasure, and uh, I'd be happy to do this anytime. Wrapping up this episode, I want to thank David Combs for being a guest on the podcast. You can find more about him over at combmusic.com. You can find all links to the show notes this episode over at nocityonthesideline.com slash 120. You know what? Also, you can find more about David Combs music you can find in iTunes and in Spotify. Hey, please reach out and leave a comment if you need questions about the podcast or anything in the show notes. Or just want to say hello. I'd like to know how you're doing and um, how things are going with you, especially when they come the holiday season. And the, right now, we're getting the colder weather here the day of this recording. All my, all my contact information is nosittingonthesideline.com slash contact. Final thoughts. And I something that David said, and I think I really really touched me. If you have a gift, share it. Don't hide it. It may change the, your world or inspire the others to go change theirs. Yeah, that's true. It's really true. Well, thank you for listening. Until next time, take care. Give kids a hug and tell them how much you love them. You know what? Time's short. Take care. God bless. See ya.